destruction and devastation, but Lord, uh, there is a template here that we can make application for our lives. And Lord, we can learn from this. So open our ears spiritually, soften our hearts to be teachable. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in this section of Isaiah that began in chapter 13 that continues through chapter 23 that these proclamations are being made against the nations that surround Israel. Now keep in mind that at this time, most of these prophecies are dealing with the Assyrians. The Assyrians are the powerhouse at the time that Isaiah is ministering. Uh, he is ministering to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah and Jerusalem as well. And as you know, just for you who may be new to, to Old Testament study, that after the reign of Solomon came Rehoboam, and during the reign of Rehoboam, the nation split to 10 northern tribes, the house of Israel. There were 19 kings of the house of Israel, as you read First and Second Kings, and every one of those kings were evil kings. They had plunged the, the house of Israel deep into idol worship. There was two and a half tribes on the east side of the Jordan River, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half of the tribe of Manasseh. Well, when the Assyrians begin to flex their muscles, and even as Isaiah prophesied, you recall in chapter 8, that it's going to be like the mighty rivers overflowing its banks, and they begin to uh, do just that, make their way southward. They would take Assyria captive in 732 B.C., just as it was told, as Isaiah predicted. But then also they took those two and a half tribes on the east side of the Jordan River away captive. And then eventually, 10 years later, all of the house of Israel would be taken off into captivity by the Assyrians. They would then plant some of uh, the Assyrians into the land. Not everyone was taken. And the offspring of the, the, the Israelites, the house of Israel, those who lived there, those tribes, and the Assyrians, they would later on be known as the Samaritans. And that's a term that you read about in the Gospels. And the uh, Samaritans were ones that were very much hated by the Jews because of their history. But that's a lesson for another time we've gone over it. But the Assyrians were very brutal. They would come in. They would uh, torture people. They would level uh, whole villages. They uh, would put fish hooks in your mouths, and they would drag you off into captivity. And the Assyrians coming, they began to put a chokehold on the southern uh, nation of Judah. That included the tribe of Judah and then the tribe of Benjamin. And they began to, to come on the east side of the Jordan River. They're taking Syria and then Ammon and then uh, where the Moabites were and the Edomites. They come on the west side. They're taking Tyre uh, up in what is known today as Lebanon. We're going to see the proclamation against them tonight. And they come down the coast in that area that the Philistines uh, had uh, been uh, in that area, especially during the days of David. And now all they have left really is they come into Judah with this chokehold um, is that they're going to come to Jerusalem and we will see later on what happens when Shennacherib, the, the king of Assyria, is hurling threats uh, towards the God of Israel and towards Hezekiah the king. But here we see that these proclamations given against those nations that surround Israel and Judah and also the proclamations against God's people itself because judgment would come to those nations but judgment 
begins in the house of God. And we need to remember that, that as a church and as a family, that God will deal with us if our hearts aren't right with the Lord. And that's one of the things that we have seen going through the book of Isaiah. You might remember in chapter 1 that it was the Lord that was saying that I'm tired of your new moons and feasts and Sabbaths that you celebrate and, and the incense that you burn. And it is done in iniquity. In other words, you've mixed in all this false worship and idol worship that I no longer hear your prayers. So right now, as we go into chapter 22, we're going to see this this burden against the valley of vision as we read there in verse 1. That's another name for Jerusalem. And what ails you now that you have all gone up to the housetops? You who are full of noise, a tumultuous city, a joyous city. Your slain men are not slain with the sword nor dead in battle. All your rulers have fled together. They are captured by the archers. All who are found in you are bound together. They have fled from afar. In verse 4 we read, Therefore I said, Look away from me, and I weep bitterly. Do not labor to comfort me because of the plundering of the daughter of my people. So here, as we know that Jerusalem, Jerusalem is built on hills. Those of you who have been with us when we've gone on our study tours to Israel, you know that it was built upon Mount Moriah. And Mount Moriah, as you go to Genesis chapter 22, was that mountain that you recall that God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go and offer him as a sacrifice for me. And that's what Abraham did. He walked up that mountain, Mount Moriah. And of course, you know the story that God said to Abraham, that stop Abraham, Now I know you're a friend of mine, that you love me. And God provided a sacrifice through that that ram that was there. But Abraham would call that mount the mount where the Lord has provided. And it would be 2,000 years later that God did provide for you and for me because it was the same mountain that Jesus, with the wood of the sacrifice on his back, would go up that same exact hill, Mount Moriah, and was offered as a sacrifice for you and for me. The mount where the Lord will provide, and that is Calvary. To the east of there, there's the Mount of Olives where Jesus ascended into heaven and will come back when he comes back literally in the second coming, will touch down on the Mount of Olives. And then to the south was Mount Zion. And Mount Zion is, is, um, just was a little mountain, and of course uh, it was flattened as they built the city of David. But when you read that term Mount Zion in the Old Testament, it is synonymous with Jerusalem. And, and here there was all this idol worship going on on these hills and God was going to deal with it. And as they say, what ails you now? There's a problem that in verse 1, that you've gone up to the housetops. You're full of noise, a tumultuous city, a joyous city. There's a lot of activity. Uh, It was, man, stimulating. It was economically prosperous. It, It was a place where people liked to go. And we see that in our culture today. There are places that people love to go where it's busy and it's noisy. Uh, Las Vegas, uh, places like that. But yet, we see there's a lot of iniquity that is going on. And I want you to understand something, folks, that behind all the lights and all the glitter that can attract so many people, keep in mind this, that there is death and there are lives that are devastated. There are drugs there, there's all kinds of difficulty and problems that people go through. Because of the iniquity, because lives being ruined, they, they lose everything. 
You know, I hate that saying that, that what is, happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And I don't think that any of us are foolish enough to believe that lie. That it doesn't stay there. That people leave that city broken hearted and broken literally. And, and, and that's why out in the desert the suicide rate is very high. And it, it is terrible. So here in Jerusalem, because of the sin, all this is going on, a tumultuous and, and a joyous city here. Your slain men are not slain with the sword, nor dead in the battle. So the housetops, the people up on the housetops, and culturally, you know that in those times in the Middle East, people would go up on the housetops in the evening, in the morning to cool off. They're up on the housetops. Something's going on. There's a noise that's going on. The soldiers would begin to circle around Jerusalem. Now, we know that, that as we read this, a lot of this chapter is going to be specifically talking about the Assyrians. There are those scholarship that believe that perhaps it's speaking about the Babylonians that would come in and actually destroy Jerusalem. But as we read this, we, we know that the Assyrians, as we're going to read in Isaiah chapter 36, ended up surrounding Jerusalem, and they're seeing all this that is going on. And God is dealing with the city of Jerusalem and those who have gone astray and, and they're on the housetops. It does remind me of what Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24. You might recall when he says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of Daniel the prophet, if you're up on the rooftop, then don't bother going down and packing a bag. You need to get out of there. And we know that Jesus is talking about a time that is yet future, that in the middle of the tribulation period, when the abomination of desolation spoken of there in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, when the Antichrist comes on the scene and in the middle of the tribulation period, in the middle of the week, that he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. That is, that the temple is going to be built in Jerusalem, the third temple. It's called the tribulation temple. And it is the abomination of desolation that Daniel very specifically tells us that as Second Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul confirms that the Antichrist will set up an image of himself in the Holy of Holies. He will declare the world to worship him. And at that time, the Jews are going to say no. We will not worship you. We are not going to receive you. We are not going to worship this image that you've set up in the Holy of Holies. That is one lesson that they have learned since 586 B.C., that we don't worship idols. And so they will begin to flee, as we've already seen in this section of Isaiah, to the rock city of Petra as the Antichrist is going to very heavily persecute the Jews and any Christians in the tribulation period. And there's going to be a mighty revival that is going to happen in the tribulation period, according to Daniel chapter 7. Now, you and I, the church, I believe that we're going to be raptured before the tribulation period. And so we're going to see that as we continue on in the book of Isaiah. But here is something's going on. And in verse 2, and it says that your slain men were not slain with the sword nor dead in battle. Some have suggested that this is speaking of the Assyrians destroyed by that angel that came along and destroyed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. Your slain men 
man are not slain with the sword. It could be uh, as those who believe that maybe it's a reference to Babylon, that the Babylonians surrounded the city and they began to starve the people out. And they didn't die because of battle, but they starved to death, just as the Romans did, as Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us, that people began to die in Jerusalem as they wouldn't allow food to come in. And all of a sudden, the people uh, were being stacked up their bodies in the street like cordwood is what the historian Josephus writes. Uh, that was a terrible time. And Jeremiah, when he was talking to the leaders of Jerusalem, he said that you need to yield to Nebuchadnezzar because if you don't, if you don't submit to him, terrible things are going to happen and it's going to be great death and devastation and destruction. So it could be a reference to the Babylonian uh, siege against Jerusalem or the Assyrians. But Isaiah here, as we continue, as we have read in verse 4, he says, look away from me, I will weep bitterly. Isaiah weeps for the city just as Jeremiah did. Here's the thing, folks. I hope and pray that we weep for those around us. And I can't help but remember, you know, I was uh, answering a question on Calvary Live with somebody today that that just really kind of brought to mind how Jesus wept uh, over, you know, Capernaum and Bethsaida, how he wept over uh, uh, you know, those villages in, in Galilee. And Capernaum was uh, the town of Jesus, as we know, the, the place where Jesus spent more time than any other place. And we also know that as we're going to read the proclamation against Tyre, if we get to it here tonight in the next chapter, that that's where Lebanon was, that Jesus would say that if Tyre and Sidon had seen the works that you guys saw in Capernaum, Bethsaida, and, and Chorazin, that they would have repented a long time ago in sackcloth and ashes. And here they saw the, the work of God. And here was God in human flesh that was in Capernaum, the town of Jesus, the Holy of Holies, for three years, and yet they didn't believe. And here is God's holy city where the temple was, and, and, and the people were turning away from the Lord and involved in idol worship. But Isaiah is weeping, and I've discussed this before, but what I hope and pray for all of us is that we would have a heart for the lost, that we would weep for the, what is going on around us as we see a society, a culture that's getting further and further away from the Lord. Do you have a heart for the people that you work with, for your neighbors, for family members? Sometimes we can talk about end-time prophecy, and we know that God's going to bring judgment on this world. He is going to judge sin, and he's going to judge that as, you know, worldly system. And we've already discussed the proclamation against Babylon and the Babylonian system. And I read that, and I think, Lord, I can't wait till you come and set things right. But we need to understand this, that there's going to be great devastation and destruction that's going to take place, that's going to culminate until the second coming of Jesus Christ. And if we are in the last days, which I believe, and the Lord comes back for the church and raptures, raptures us. And then there's going to be that seven-year period. I think about, Lord, are there people around me that I love that are going to go through that period that have rejected you? And we want to pray for the lost and have 
you know, compassion for the loss and be determined to give the gospel to people. And we ought to weep in our hearts. You know, there are days where I feel like, Lord, just get them, you know. And I can't wait till you come and, you know, like James and John in Luke chapter 9, when a village of Samaria rejected him, and they said, shall we call down fire on this village? Let's consume these people. And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're from. I came not to destroy, but to save. And then he turns as he's there in Samaria, he turns towards Galilee, and he says, oh, Chorazin, oh, Bethsaida, or, you know, Capernaum how he wept for them. And it was hard for Peter and James and John and Philip to hear Jesus say that because they were from those places. They knew the people there. They knew the families that were there. They grew up in that area and did business in that area. And it's the same with us. So may we be committed to praying to those who are linked to us in our lives and weep for them who don't know the Lord. We don't want to have a stone heart, a cold heart towards the loss. But we continue in verse 5, for it is a day of trouble and treading down and perplexity by the Lord God of hosts in the valley of vision, breaking down the walls and the crying to the mountain. A lamb bore the quiver with chariots of men and horsemen and Kerr uncovered the shield. And it shall come to pass that your choicest valley shall be full of chariots, and the horsemen shall set themselves in array at the gate. As Elam and Kerr, they were allies with the Assyrians. Elam is another name, is Persia. Actually, Elam was a little empire on the very western side of what is today called Iran. We know that Persia is synonymous with Iran. Matter of fact, the country of Iran was called Persia till 1935. But there was Persia, and then right along the, um, the, um, the gulf there, um, with the Persian Gulf was a little empire, Elam. So it's synonymous with Persia in that area, Kerr. Uh, it's interesting, when we get to Jeremiah chapter 49, there's a Latter-day prophecy concerning Elam. And it's very interesting, but you have to wait till we get there. I, I'm sure the Lord will come back before we get to Jeremiah chapter 49, because that's going to be a while. But here, they, uh, it's a day of trouble uh, an army full of arrows and chariots, and, and uh, here they are in the valleys, in the Kidron Valley to the east, and the Henna Valley to the south, and the people up on their uh, housetops could see what's going on. And then in verse 8, we read, He removed the protection of Judah. You looked into the day to the armor of the house of the forest. You also saw the damage to the city of David, that it is great. And you gathered together the waters in the lower pool. You numbered the houses of Jerusalem and the houses you broke down to fortify the wall. Verse 11, you also made a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool, but you did not look to its maker, nor did you have respect for him who fashioned it long ago. It's interesting here that here they are. They're, they're, the, you removed the protection of Judah. Here is the Assyrians. They're looking for weak points there around Jerusalem. They're, they're surrounding it. They're looking how they might break through the wall, how they would get to the water supply. And Hezekiah, knowing that, Hezekiah, during 
during that time would make measures of what he did is it talks about here that you look to the day, verse 8, the armor in the house of the forest. Now, the house of the forest, I'm sure, I know it's hard to remember these things, but remember in our study of 1 Kings, when they built Solomon's uh, temple and then Solomon built his palace, there was something that he built was called the house of the forest. And there was these large timbers that came from Lebanon up north. Remember Hiram that had made a covenant with David, sent all these cedar logs down the coast to Joppa. They brought them up to build the temple. uh, And they also would build Solomon's palace and this this, uh, house of the forest. So when you look at it from the hills, you would see what looked like this, this forest, but it was a building and in it was weapons and armory was in it. So here they are checking all of that and they're bringing the water inside the city walls. Verse 11. You've also made a reservoir between the two walls. A water of old pool. And as many of you know that what Hezekiah did in his day to protect the water source because if the enemy got a hold of your water then you were in big trouble. You can go a number of days without food, but only about three days without water. And if they got to your water supply, then that was it. So what Hezekiah did is there on the south end uh, where the temple was is uh, the Gihon Valley and, and, and um, it was the spring of Gihon that was there. And he made a tunnel from that place where the springs was down south a tunnel they the workers went from one end and um, two different ends and they would drill through the rock and they met in the middle it was quite an engineering feat 1777 feet and it brought the water from outside there towards the Kidron Valley and it met into the Gihon Springs, and it would come into the pool inside the wall, which was the pool of Siloam. Jesus spits on the ground. He makes mud. He wipes it in the blind man's eyes, and he says, you go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he goes, and he washes, and he comes up seeing. That was the water source that was there inside the city wall of Jerusalem to protect it. Quite an engineering feat. Absolutely amazing. So here they are. They're, they're making all these, these you know, uh, preparations for the Assyrians, which is good. But I can't help but notice here in verse 11, but here you did not look to its maker, nor do you have respect for him who fashioned it long ago. Now, it's interesting. That's why some scholarship believe that it is talking about Babylon, the Babylonians coming in. It seems to indicate the Assyrians, because this happened when they they made the tunnel, the, the pool inside the city wall during the time of Hezekiah, but there's no respect for him. I think there's an important application to be made for you and for me. And that is we can get so busy in life preparing for things and trying to be successful and providing for our families and protecting our families and making sure everyone's safe. And it's good to do that. But then we forget about him. And we get so caught up in life that the Lord no longer is a priority. And we begin to trust in those things rather than trusting in the Lord. 
And what we're going to see is going to happen is when Shennacherib surrounds the city with all the soldiers, that it's going to be Hezekiah that realizes in the leadership that this is no, there's nothing that we can do. And they go to the Lord and they begin to pray and the Lord intervened. And I just wonder how many times do we, when we find ourselves being surrounded by the Assyrian in our life, and we are overwhelmed, and it feels like we're being held captive, and it seems like we're in a siege and in bondage or whatever, how many times do we forget to go to the Lord? But we're so busy running around trying to figure out this plan and trusting in this thing. And the Lord is desiring to help us and to be there for us. We need to go to him. And we need to look to him. We need to trust in him. And, and to know that he is mighty God that can work in any situation that we find ourselves in. So in that day that the Lord God, verse 12 of hosts, called for weeping and for mourning, as we see, for baldness and for girding with sackcloth, but instead joy and gladness, slaying oxen and killing sheep, eating meat and drinking wine, and let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. The attitude of the people. Might as well feast tomorrow, you know, today, because tomorrow we do die. Instead of humbling themselves like Hezekiah would end up doing and seeking the Lord. People have that philosophy today, don't they? Just live for today. Eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die. Who cares? One of the things that really drives me nuts, one of the things that really gets under my skin is when I talk to somebody and they say, uh, who cares if I end up in hell? Now I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry today, and I'll end up with all my friends, and we'll have one great big party down in hell. And I think, do you really believe that? Are you that foolish to think that it's going to be a great big party and you guys are going to you know, be drinking down there and enjoying yourselves? It's outer darkness. You're going to be isolated. The gnashing of teeth is going to be terrible. And that's what really bothers me is when somebody has a philosophy of living for today, who cares about tomorrow? And we know that as Christians that there's a wonderful tomorrow for you and for me that is eternity that awaits. And we need to have the urgency to really share that there's more to this life and this life is not our hope. But Jesus Christ is our hope. And the promise that he brings of eternal hope in life that comes to you and to me. And in verse 15, here we see a shift. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, Go proceed to this steward, to Shebna, who is over the house, and say, What have you here? And whom have you here? It'll be all right. And that you have hewn a sepulcher here, and he who hews himself a sepulcher on high, who carves a tomb for himself in a rock. Indeed, the Lord will throw you away violently, O mighty man, and will surely seize you. He will surely turn violently and toss you like a ball into a large country. And there you shall die, and there your glorious chariot shall be the shame of your master's house. So I will drive you out of your office, verse 19, and from your position he will pull you down. So all of a sudden it changes to talking about this guy named Shebna. He was a servant. He was a steward of King Hezekiah. And what he was to do is he was to take care of the king's treasuries, the king's goods. 
And that's what a steward did. He was also a scribe. But what we learn from the historical books that this guy Shebna, that he was one that he was dishonest. He was very prideful and he was stealing from the treasury of the king. And what he used a lot of that money for is he ended up building this great big tomb uh, there in the Kidron Valley. Uh, Again, when we go through the Kidron Valley, there's all these tombs and there's like these big, huge tombs that uh, date back to Absalom and Shebna. They found it as archaeologists archaeologists were there. They found his tomb, this huge tomb that he hewn out of the rock that Isaiah prophesies about, and he ends up taken off into exile. He never got to use it. So he's going to be taken away his position. It's going to be given to another as we conclude the chapter here. But I just want to say this, that it's very important to understand that in the New Testament concept, that as believers, we are called to be servants and we are also called to be stewards. And Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required for a steward that he be found faithful. You see, Shebna, being a steward of what God had in, you know, put him in that position here as we know that you have and uh, what you have here and whom have you here as we see in verse 16. It's, it's like um, the Lord is saying, who do you think you are? That in your pride and in your arrogance, understand this, Shebna, that you are nothing and you have nothing. It reminds me so much of Belshazzar in Daniel chapter 5. You know, the one, the king of of Babylon is toasting with uh, the vessels that came out of the temple in Jerusalem to the gods of Babylon. And he really thought he was something. And all of a sudden, the handwriting on the wall, meaning, meaning, tekel, your farces, that you've been found, you know, weighed in the balances and found wanting. In other words, Belshazzar, you're a lightweight. You're a lightweight. You think you're so important. Well, you're going to get killed this night, and your kingdom is going to fall to the Medes and the Persians, Daniel chapter 5. You and I are called to be stewards of the mystery of God. In other words, God wants to use you to be able to draw out of our king his treasures to be able to minister to others. And a steward is a servant, and it is found to be faithful. That's why it's so important that we be learning the word of God because you're not going to be able to pull from, from the goods you know, of the kings if you're not grounded in the word of God. You're not going to be able to share with others. You have nothing to give. And a good steward was one that when the king needed it, he was able to draw from that. And I pray for you and I that we would be able to do that, to draw from the word of God. That in him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. To be able to draw it out and to minister to others powerfully and effectively. The promises of God, the truth of God, the precepts of God, the commandments of God. Uh, The wonderful, wonderful comfort of the Lord as he calls us to do that. Be faithful in that. Be a faithful steward. And here Shebna, he wasn't one of them. And so we're going to see that uh, Shebna, who wanted to uh, make his alliance with Egypt, there's a lot of things that you can look at uh, historically about him. He just was a guy that was in rebellion to 
the will of God. So his position is taken away in verse 19, verse 20. And then it shall be in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him your robe and strengthen him with your belt. I will commit your responsibility into his hand. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder. He shall open and no one shall shut, and he shall shut and no one shall open. I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place, and he will become a glorious throne to his father's house. In that day I will call my servant, any one of us that are called to do ministry, and you are called to minister. It is a calling. Again, one of the things that kind of Perks my ear up is when, you know, I have somebody come to me and say, I want to be in ministry. I, I have chosen that as a career. It's like, what do you mean a career? It's a calling. It has to be a call of God. And here call, the call of God on Eli Akam is given as Shabna would be rejected. And he is called to be a servant. And I, I like this. The responsibility that is given in his hand. To be in ministry, you have responsibilities. All of us have responsibilities to others to be able to, to be a good steward of what God has given to us. And as God raises him up, he says that I... I I want you to be a servant here. He is called. Ministry is a calling. But I like what it says here in verse 22. So he shall open and no one shall shut. He shall shut and no one shall open. Does that ring a bell with you? It should. Revelation chapter 3. And in Revelation chapter 3, when Jesus is, is writing uh, to the church of Philadelphia... He's writing to the seven churches. He commends the church of Philadelphia. The church of Philadelphia is the faithful church. I hope we're like the church of Philadelphia. And here Jesus commends them, has no rebuke for them. But he says, these things says, he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Here is Jesus borrowing from Isaiah. Of course, Jesus is the word. And he says that you have the key of David. He opens, and no one shuts, and shuts, and no one opens. You're quoting from Isaiah chapter 22. You know, the Lord is the one that opens doors that no man can shut. And there have been times in my life where he's opened that door and I think it's going to get shut. This isn't going to work. And the Lord says, look, I've set an open door before you. It takes real discernment and real prayer to know when the Lord has opened up a door. And as he opens up that door, sometimes you might think, how is this going to work? And how is this going to, to you know, um, play out? And we can't understand it all. We can't see it all because partly we want to know what's going to happen in six months, in a year, in two years, and all of this. The Lord's saying one day at a time. Trust in me. Look to me. I've said an open door. And I love it when he sets an open door that we can go through because I know that that door is going to remain open and no one can shut it. 
I think, well, you know, something's going to shut it. Somebody's going to slam it, but the Lord's going to keep it open. But know this, that he also shuts doors that no one can open. And there are times in our lives, listen, that he will shut doors. Don't be upset. And if he shut a door, don't try to go through it because you're going to end up whacking your nose. And it's going to hurt. But he shuts doors because he has a reason for it. He wants the very best for you. And if you're not receiving that open door, he shuts the door. It's because he's saying this isn't good for you that, or I got something better or this is, you know, not the direction and will of what I have for your life. And I'm going to shut the door here. And it's okay. But I've heard Christians really murmur and complain because a door was shut and they begin to complain against the Lord. Don't complain against the Lord. He has the very best for you. And as Romans chapter 8 says, that he who did not withhold his own son, will he not also give you freely all things that are good? And he's going to give you that which is good for you. Maybe not what you want. Maybe not what you're naming and claiming but what is good for you spiritually, and he will open the door. And no one can shut it. And it's wonderful when that happens, but he also closes doors. And we need to trust in the Lord and what he's doing in our lives when those things take place. So something for us to, to look at. And then verse 23, he's talking about this peg here. I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place. They didn't have cabinets, and, and um, they didn't have cupboards like we did. They usually just put a peg that you can secure something on. And they will hang on him all the glory of the father's house, the offspring, and the posterity, all vessels of small quantity, from the cups to all the pitchers. So, you know, some of us have that. We have pegs that we put cups on and, and you know, pitchers on. And they, they would do that. That was very customary in these days. It was secure. And then in that day, says the Lord, verse 25 of host, a peg that is fastened in a secure place will be removed and be cut down and fall. And the burden that was on it will be cut for the Lord, cut off for the Lord has spoken. So in this, it's, you know, uh, speaking about how it would be, Eliakim would be secure and um, he's going to be that place that you can hang those cups and pitchers on. But really it's speaking of Jesus Christ here, a picture of Jesus. And because he went and hung on Calvary's cross, then we have security, don't we? We have security in our salvation and eternal life. So here in chapter 23, I don't think we're going to get through it, but let's go through a couple of verses here that this chapter ends the section with these proclamations or burdens against the nation. Again, Tyre is that area as this burden against Tyre is given. And it was that area north of Israel. Tyre, if you might recall, was the place that Jezebel, the Old Testament, came from, right? It was Jezebel that came. She married a man named Ahab. And they were terrible kings. Jezebel actually would run the nation. She was very violent, as we read there in 1 Kings. She killed the prophets of God. Uh, she's the one that came up with the scheme to kill Naboth and get his vineyard for Ahab. And they introduced the house of Israel into Baal worship and Astaroth worship. And so they were terrible, terrible uh, you know, kings that came from Tyre and Sidon. 
But we also know that it was a place that Jesus went up to. And you recall that there was two people that Jesus marveled at their faith. One was the centurion there in Compertium. The other one was the woman that was up in Tyre in that area that he marveled at her faith as well. So here is this area that the proclamation is given uh, against them. And then the walls, uh, whale, you ships of Tarshish. Tarshish, there's a debate whether that's Spain or up in Britain. And for it's laid waste, for that there is no house, no harbor from the land of Cyprus, it is revealed to them. And be still, you inhabitants of the coastland, you merchants of Sidon. Whom those who cross the sea have filled, and on great waters the grain of Shihor, and the harvest of the river is their revenue, and she is the marketplace for the nations. So the, here the Phoenicians were seafaring people. They established settlements all along the Mediterranean coast, and, and Tyre was walled in all around it. it. It was connected to the Mediterranean Sea, and the only way to really get into the city was through the harbor. And they would sail to North Africa and all around where, you know, Italy was today and, and up into Great Britain. And verse 2, here the people are, are starving to death as the Babylonians cut off their food supply. The, the city was also conquered by the Assyrians. And we know also there was an island city that was out there that no one could get to except for Alexander the Great. He would conquer it in 322 B.C. But in verse 3 here, Sihor here means black. It's a reference to the rich soil that was along the Nile River in Egypt. And the sailors and the ships would pick up grain there and transport it. But now that Tyre is gone, it's been stripped. They're weeping at the judgment that has taken place. In verse 6, cross over to Tarshish, wail, you inhabitants of the coastland. It is your joyous city whose iniquities is from ancient days, whose feet carried her far off to dwell, who has taken this counsel against Tyre, the crowning city, whose merchants are princes, whose traders are the honorable of the earth. The Lord of hosts has purposed it to bring into dishonor the pride of all glory, to bring into contempt all the honorable of the earth. So they were full of pride and self-reliance, and they were honored by the world because they were successful. By the way, to remind you very quickly, how is it that you and I are successful? Go and read Joshua chapter 1. If you want to be successful in the best sense of the word, meditate on the word of God day and night is what Joshua was told, and you will be prosperous and you'll have good success. That's how you're going to be successful. That's how you're going to be used of the Lord. That's how you're going to be a blessing to others. And then as we continue in verse 10, overflow through your land like the river, O daughters of Tarshish. There is no more strength. He stretched out his hand over the sea. He shook the kingdoms. The Lord has given a commandment against Canaan to destroy its strongholds. And he said, you will rejoice no more, you oppressed virgin daughter of Sidon. Uh, arise, cross over to Cyprus, and there also you will have no rest. And behold, the land of the Chaldeans, this people which was not. Assyria found it for a wild beast of the desert. They set up its towers and raised its palaces and brought it to ruin. And wail, you ships of Tarsus, for your strength is laid waste. It's just speaking about how um, it is... Um, you know, Tyre, uh, the success of Tyre that was there um, is going to be destroyed. And then as we finish the chapter here in verse 15, it shall come to pass in that day that Tyre will be forgotten 70 years. So when Nebuchadnezzar put a blockade 
and a boycott for 70 years on Tyre and all the merchants being able to do business there. After 70 years, they would rebuild, but they continued, as you read verse 16 and 17, they continued in fornication and prostitution was common and they would rebuild the the city. But then in verse 18, her gain and her pay will be set apart for the Lord. It will not be treasured nor laid up for her gain will be for those who dwell before the Lord to eat sufficiently and for fine clothing. And what will happen, verse 18, this is now looking in the future to the millennium reign when Tyre will bring an offering to the Lord, that the Lord's going to do a work. The Lord's going to do a work. But in the meantime, here they were destroyed, this blockade for 70 years. They rebuild without the Lord. Listen, sometimes I hear people say, I'm going to rebuild my life. You're going to rebuild it without the Lord? Because you rebuild it, your life without the Lord, you end up going right back into what you, know, you were doing. You end up so oftentimes you know, back into those things that, that you're trying to get rid of or perhaps that, that it fell apart. And the children of Israel kept wanting to go back to Egypt. Listen, rebuild your life on Jesus on the rock. Keep your eyes on him. Continue to trust him and walk with him. Rebuild your life on him. Amen? Amen. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these two chapters that we went over quickly. But uh, I pray that for us that here we look at it and there's application to be made for us. And to trust in you and look to you. We can get so busy with life and trying to build our lives. And, and, and we do have the cares of life, all of us. But, Lord, we don't want to to lose trusting in you and you being a priority in every area of our lives because you are our stability, our strength, our security, our salvation. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be good stewards, servants of the Lord, that we would be used of you in this world to a lost world. And Father, right now, as the communion elements are going to be handed out, we can just continue to worship and be so thankful for this new covenant, this covenant that Jesus said of his body and blood shed, a covenant of grace, a covenant of the work is done and being able to enter into your rest, rest that we're forgiven, rest from the guilt and shame of sin, Rest in our eternal security that we find in you. So, Lord, may we just marvel once again, holding these elements in our hands, just thanking you for everything. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Again, the ushers are going to hand out the